0: This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guide, a WTOP news podcast. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Molly Battenhouse. She's a master of wine and an advanced sommelier with the Court of Master Sommeliers. Molly's been involved with a lot of different projects, including Josh Wesson's groundbreaking retail concept, bestsellers, and the Tribeca Grill. She currently serves as the National Director of the Wine Education for the Jackson Family Wines. In this episode, I'll talk to Molly about what it takes to become a master wine, why Austrian wines hold a special place in Molly's cellar, and we'll also review a Syrah that is mind-blowing good for the money. So, drink in this conversation with Molly Battenhouse. Molly, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm really excited. Now, hey, Molly, a lot of people are familiar with the term sommelier and maybe even master sommelier. But what is a master of wine?
1: It's a master of everything wine. Um, Just kidding, sort of. But a master of wine, I think Doug Frost actually described it really well one day. A master sommelier's level of knowledge is um, 50 miles wide and, and 20 miles deep, whereas a master of wine might be 20 to 30 miles wide but 100 miles deep. So it's, um, there's a broader, a broader scope maybe to the Master of Wine uh, because it's open to, to many more types of wine people. So winemakers, um, journalists, you could be a winery owner, you could be a sommelier, um, you could be in retail or in distribution. So it's just a more broader picture of the wine industry than just what focuses on what happens in a restaurant, which is what a Master Sommelier is.
0: Okay, so there may be more service-oriented
1: Yes, a master sommelier. Absolutely. Now I say
0: sommelier, and earlier you were saying it's
1: sommelier.
0: Sommelier.
1: Maybe I put the emphasis on yay.
0: Yay. That's just <laughs> a, a good friend of mine, Eric Siegelbaum. Yes. Right? Eric's always saying sommelier. Sommelier. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to just say sommelier, anyway. So whoever you like. Yeah. So what kind of study is included? It's not just take an exam and now you're a master wine. I understand it's pretty intensive, including a thesis.
1: Including a thesis. Um, so
0: how long does it take? What is what's involved?
1: So it, uh, in terms of time, it generally takes at least five to six years. Um, in my case, wow. I took at least twice that long. I took about 12. Um, so it is a very difficult and arduous process, as is the Master Sommelier exam, which I have sat four times, so I, I know firsthand uh, wow. <laughs> how difficult they both are. Uh, the research paper is one thing that does really differentiate that and the service component. There's no service component in the Master of Wine. Um, but they do have the research paper, uh, formerly known as the dissertation, uh, which is about a 10,000-word document that's uh, you know very intense research on a very narrow topic of something that is of interest to you or is of benefit to your, to your business.
0: Okay, that just sounds like a lot of work. I mean, you must <laughs> really enjoy the world of wine. How did you get interested in wine?
1: So through restaurants and through cooking. So growing up, I was always at my mom's shoulder – Um, cooking with her, baking and cooking, and got interested in food. And when I was in college um, studying art and uh, business management, I started working in restaurants, and I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the lifestyle. It was fun. When I got out of college working in the art field, um, I knew it wasn't something, that particular thing, wasn't what I wanted to do every day. And so I started looking back at what I loved, which was cooking, and then that kind of led into wine and there you, are. there you are.
0: So was there a particular wine that did it for you?
1: Yes, actually. Um and I was so tickled when I finally got to meet the winemaker, but it was Storybook's Zinf- Storybook Vineyard Zinfandel.
0: Really? And
1: I don't remember which one, but I remembered being fascinated that there was the eastern exposures and the western exposures and you know, all the different the northern exposure, whichever ones he had. Now I can't remember them all. And um, that was the first time I think that that had kind of come to light that you know that all those things could come from one place and I had also heard that he was very particular and wouldn't allow people in his vineyards because they would track in foreign dust and <laughs> bugs. Wow. I don't know if that's true or not.
0: <laughs> so I have to say you're the first person I've I've asked that question to. You know, what wine did it for you? That said Zinfandel. Yes. Interesting.
1: Yes. So, um, I mean, the first wine I ever drank was a white Zinfandel. Okay, so. well, we're not going <laughs> to. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so maybe that was it. Maybe I wanted to try the red version.
0: All right. And, and that's what really turned you.
1: It was the first around. time I started looking at wine, wine as more than just okay. something to drink.
0: Do you have maybe any advice for somebody who just realized that hey, I'm kind of interested in wine. So for example, you know, you're in the art world, you're working in restaurants. And as as many people who get into wine, right? They they start off in the restaurant world. Absolutely. Right. And then they get exposed to wine and maybe sort of move through front of house and into service. But would you have any advice for somebody who is like, you know, wine sounds like it's kind of cool. You know, how, What can I do to maybe get into it a little bit more?
1: So usually I, I also have to ask people how, how comfortable they are in you know, possibly uh, reducing their income. Uh, because <laughs> <laughs> when you change jobs, to right. change professions, there's always that. But um, working like part-time in a retail store, if you're unsure, if you like the business, isn't kind of an easy way to get started. No, I never thought of that. As you get you get exposed to wine and you yeah. start talking about wine, you're around wine all the time, and you get to see that. You know, working in the wine business isn't all just tasting wine and and uh, all day. It's it's actual work, but but it is fun and there's always wine around and just starts you. I think getting more involved and seeing more things that are out there, tasting more.
0: Yeah, it certainly would give you a broader exposure. Absolutely, something I never really thought about. I mean, I go to wine stores a lot probably more than I should. <laughs> it's like I have it it's funny people actually joke that I I have some kind of, you know, maybe illness or something that I no matter where I am, no, no matter where I am in the world, I cannot walk by a wine shop. I somehow there is some magnetic pull. I get sucked into it. So it's interesting that I've never really thought about being on the other side. It might be kind of, you know, I I think it'd be kind of cool to spend some time working the other side.
1: It is. It's fun. You get to talk to people about wine all day.
0: Yeah. And, and again, you know, a broader exposure to wine. So I guess somebody who's interested in learning more, no better way than actually selling it. Right. Okay, cool. So that's maybe somebody who's interested in learning more about wine. But again, I don't think a lot of people will spend 5, 6, 12 years no. <laughs> getting a master of wine. But if somebody did what advice what path would you put them on how does that work like how did you say hey i'm going to become a master of wine what <laughs> what advice do you have
1: um well so there are a couple of prerequisites so if you have to have a prerequisite degree so whether it be the WSET diploma okay. or a winemaking degree or um, a, a degree within the court of master sommeliers or some other you know recognized wine school there does need to be some prerequisite, and you Didn't have to fill that. out an um, an entrance examination. Basically,
0: did not realize you had there was a prereq to, to be into the MW program.
1: There is, and it's not a very super specific prerequisite, but there you have to have experience in the industry, and okay. and you should. If you don't have a degree like that already, it would be a very difficult program for you to try to to tackle.
0: How far would I have to go in the Master Sommelier? Uh, it's level two, is that like a, a at least a level three, possibly level three, even okay.
1: level four. There are several master, master sommeliers in the master of wine program.
0: So how many master of wines are there in the, well, oh gosh, I, I just got a country. recent
1: figure. It's around 380, in,
0: 380 in to 390 States? in the world, in the world, in the world, in the world, 390 in the in world. The world. So more people have been to space.
1: Yes, <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, and how about the United States?
1: Uh, I got to I have to count that number again, but it's around fifty to fifty-five.
0: How many are women?
1: Approximately that number in the world too, around fifty to fifty-five.
0: or so. Wow, you're a unicorn. <laughs> we
1: <That's>, are unicorns.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are there just out of curiosity? Is there anybody in the world who's a master sommelier and a master of wine?
1: There are uh, currently five men. And I always forget one or two,
0: Wow! yes, Well, we need to are. get some women in there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Several are trying. Yeah? <laughs> oh,
0: cool. I, it just sounds really, really hard to do.
1: It is, but it's also kind of fun in a strange way.
0: So I noted in the intro that you were the National Director of Wine Education for Jackson Family Wines. Uh, and and uh, we should probably talk about who Jackson Family Wines Correct. are or is. And what I'm curious about is... Here you are in MW. You pretty much have your pick of the litter. There's only 50 of you in the United States, right? And, uh, I'm kind of curious. Why did you go to work for Jackson Family?
1: So a friend of mine was working there, and the the position came open, and I didn't even know about it. He contacted me through LinkedIn, and he said, "You know, you might. This job sounds perfect for you. I think you should apply." And I said, "Jackson Family Wines, huh? That's Kendall Jackson." And he said, "Yep." And I said, "Well." how do you like it? And it was a very long email later. I said, okay, well, I'll look into it. And that kind of led into one of the first wines we'll be tasting today. Um, but I, I started looking them up and realized what a serious wine company they had become. And I had seen a little evolution along the way. Some friends of mine had sold me a few of the, the wines that they were making when I was at Tribeca Grill. And um, as I delved into it further, I just realized what a great company they were in terms of taking care of the land and buying really premium vineyards, and made me see a different side to it. So, I thought, why not start the conversation?
0: Right, because most people think Jackson Family Wine, Kendall Jackson, eh, you know, absolutely good, good entry level wines. I mean, yeah. I've enjoyed Kendall Jackson wines for years, but you know, as they started to grow and expand and and uh, acquire more vineyards and 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 more wineries operations um, it 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 really kind of evolved into a fine wine portfolio as well
1: absolutely it's a it's a beautiful portfolio um, of wines and you know Kendall Jackson Chardonnay is of course the the biggest biggest brand that we make and the the largest volume of wine that we make and it's important and that means some of our other wineries can be really small and very specific and we can do some really groundbreaking work and have very innovative winemakers, and they they get a lot of room to to move and grow as long as the quality's in the bottle. So I think that's it's pretty pretty interesting. It's a it's a great company and it's still family owned, which right. I like.
0: Right. Yeah, I I've um, met Julia, yes, on, on a couple of occasions, and just very impressed with her. Yes. Yes. So
1: She's just, doing a lot of really good work.
0: She is, particularly on climate yes, change. Yes,
1: climate change with her um, grounded organization. Yeah. It's it's really cool.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed and, and uh, a big supporter of that. Yes, and and of Julie, I just I I admire her quite a bit and happy to see what she's doing. So you had mentioned that you were making this change from where where were you before you went to Jackson Family?
1: I was working with VOS Selections mm-hmm. as their director of sales and business development.
0: And VOS Selections, Victor is Owen it, Schwartz, is it Who's a importer importer or is a distributor distributor, distributor? In New
1: York and New Jersey and a little bit in Pennsylvania as well.
0: And you mentioned Tribeca.
1: Yes, Tribeca Grill. Love it. It's a great place.
0: Wow, you know, I treat myself a couple times a year. Run up to New York and and do one fabulous meal. Uh, last weekend was Daniel, which mm. was, you know, pretty spectacular. Pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty happy about that. And it's always fun meeting the wine people in those restaurants and it is. talking about their evolution. And um, I'm getting ready to head out actually to, in a little Washington pretty soon and and talking to their wine director about a. Pretty special bottle I want to bring for a celebration out there. So, always love meeting the sommeliers. Sommeliers. <laughs> sommeliers. Sommelier. So, um, all right. So here you are, awesome, master wine Jackson family. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? I'm just kind of curious because you real you're deep. I mean, master of wine is a big deal. I really don't know if our listeners really understand. You know, everybody's heard again, master sommelier and, and super. It's right. amazing, right? Yes, absolutely. But master wine, you don't meet many.
1: Not that many, well, and especially right. here in the states. There are more right. master sommeliers here in the states, right? So, so that's why I think it's everybody knows about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah. So if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I've never asked uh, I I that question before. By the <laughs> way, I
1: actually looked that question up. It's something I think about too, because it, you know a lot of people come to me with like, "Hey, I'm working at this. So I'd like to switch into wine," and think, "Oh, what would I be doing if I wasn't wine?" Well, Initially, when I went to college, I wanted to. Um, I thought I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. As it turns out, I can't stand the sight of blood, <laughs> I faint. So, it seems I don't that, that think would that's... be
0: a prerequisite,
1: <laughs> bit of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, then I thought maybe biomedical engineering, which yeah. is something kind of cool. It is. And I saw someone today with a prosthetic limb, and I was like, ooh, that's neat. I could have done that, but I didn't do that. And nowadays, I think it probably would be farmer. I would love to I mean I love growing things and I I we had gardens growing up yeah. and now I've had one again for the past 10 years and getting deeper and deeper into wine means you get to go to more wineries and to more vineyards and yeah. it's so cool to see how they're farmed and how they you know create different things just with you know soil air you know like seeds it's it's not much that produces what's in the bottle you know, it comes from nature so I really love it. It's it's very visceral.
0: So when you say farming, do you would you be a vineyard? Oh, like would it be vineyard or would it be lettuce or
1: I would probably radishes? I probably do a bit of both. I, I love uh-huh. the the potager, you know, the the kitchen garden, and and I do have a culinary degree. Okay. So what what goes onto the plate, I recognize that there's that connection with the land and the food that you're eating. So I do love to eat things that I've grown. I think that's amazing, and I would love to make some wine, although. I feel like I probably would mess up a couple first.
0: Well, yeah. well, that's you know kind of why you do an internship. Or, that's a, that's you know, a big bite to pistache, take a vineyard. A vineyard's a lot.
1: A garden's a small.
0: So somebody once asked me, and they said, you know, hey, would you're really into wine? You you know, you're a wine judge, you're a wine columnist, a journalist. Would you ever want to make wine? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> not right? A chance. You know, because you know, it's a lot, a lot of work and a lot of knowledge. But you know, I have this fantasy. One day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have a um, like a gentleman's or vineyard right. where, you know, I own a few acres of, of vineyard land and a little cottage on there. But somebody else is farming it somebody else is picking the grapes and somebody else is making the wine. I've always thought this fantasy of waking up in the middle of a vineyard would be really cool.
1: Oh, it's – I've stayed in a couple and it is really cool. Right. I have too, which and is kind
0: of why I thought I wouldn't mind doing
1: that. I wouldn't mind doing that either.
0: Yeah. But –
1: Farming. I wouldn't mind doing that either. The farming of it, it's its great to see great farmers and what they think of. That's so much land they have to take care of. And our farmers are pretty meticulous. So I think it's cool.
0: I was in the Santa Lucia Highlands a couple of weeks ago and met a farmer. And he refers to himself as a farmer. He is making some wines now. But he said that's secondary. Right. He said because his passion is in the vineyard and it gets translated to the wine. Absolutely. And he said, you know – and I and I'm sure you've heard this before. It's it's an old saying, right? Right. You can't make great wine from mediocre grapes. That's correct. Yeah. So it really does start in the vineyard. And I said, Well then how do you make great wine from great grapes? And he said, I get out of the way.
1: That's true. And I think most winemakers will say the same thing. They don't wanna they don't wanna screw up what nature nature has provided. So hopefully just coaxing it gently into the bottle with, you know, minimal intervention right. and, you know, the gentle handling and
0: and I've seen it firsthand with Jackson Family Wines. Not that this is a commercial for them, right? It's, it's not. <laughs> but I did go to Willamette Valley mm. a couple of years ago on my own dime. And you know, Just a matter of fact, I took some friends there uh, to kind of give them a, a tour of Willamette Valley. And Jackson Family was kind enough to let me spend a day with the. I can't recall his name. He's a farmer in Ken Kupperman? Yes, yes. And He's amazing, amazing. And he took us around the vineyard sites to just show us how he cares for the vineyards. And the passion that the viticulturists have, the work that goes in, is, is just amazing. And, and at one point, <laughs> this is kind of funny, uh, and Ken Wright has done this to me as, as well on, on occasion. Um, at each vineyard, he asked us to take a handful of soil and smell it, and he was pointing out the differences in each vineyard of, of, you know, smelling the dirt in each of the different vineyard locations we were at and pointing out the difference in smells. Like you and I would point out the different aromas in wine. Right. And in (laughs) in one vineyard he's like, okay, you could really taste the salinity in in this soil. And he takes some and he puts it in his mouth and he, you know, swishes around and spits it out. And he's like, okay, your turn. And we're all looking at each other. We weren't sure whether this was like a stupid people trick. But we did it, and you literally, I don't know if it was hypnotism, but we could taste it.
1: Well, there are there are, there are lots of things in the air and in the ground that are specific to a place, so yeah. they, they translate somehow. That's terroir, right? So, have
0: you ever eaten dirt? Of course. Oh my god! I, I thought it was just me.
1: Students, well, I maybe it's a generation. Students, I ask them sometimes if they've ever bitten a stick or licked a rock, and they look at me like I'm crazy, and. Uh, I think our parents were maybe a little bit more lax. Uh, go out, go outside yeah. and play. Yeah, drink from a garden hose. <laughs> right, drink yeah. from a garden hose. Good old
0: days. Um, you said students. Yes. Who are your students? So
1: I'm uh, an instructor at the Wine and Spirits Education Trust at the International Wine Center here in New York City. I have been doing that. Yes, I've was, been doing that. Was for not about. in your bio. 10 years. Sorry, <laughs> that should be.
0: That's very it cool.
1: It is cool. I love it. I absolutely love it.
0: Do you enjoy teaching? Lynn? I do. It's yeah. fun.
1: I mean, a wrapped. People listening to me for two and a half hours about wine—it's perfect. Yeah. What's the What's
0: the coolest thing that you've you've had an aha moment with your students? Oh goodness. I know. I kind that's of threw that's you a, a tougher ball.
1: one. That's a tough. I know aha moments I've had with wine and wine and food pairing, but with students, I don't know. Sometimes it's just how getting the information across to them. I have to find new ways to make sure that they they remember because we all learn differently. Right. So I try to use different ways of getting the information across, and something hopefully one of them will stick.
0: Yeah, well, just before we get into tasting these wines that you have in front of us, because the studio smells pretty good right now, <laughs> um, you mentioned food and you have aha moment with food and wine yes, pairing. Yes. Tell me about that. It
1: was such a simple one, too. So this is when I was working at Best Sellers in the New York store. And we had a wine there that was $5. It was the Fossi Rossi Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. You might remember it with the woman eating grapes yep. on the label.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: And I didn't like the wine. I, I didn't love it. Okay. So I never bought it and took it home, but, which is
0: why we're talking about
1: it. <laughs> which is why we're talking about. it. Well, it is. So I, w- I didn't, you know, I, I understood it was five dollars, but why was this obsession with people? They just come grab cases, and um, we always had a guest chef at Best Sellers on Saturday who would prepare a little food. Um, well, since I have a culinary degree and we had no chef, I was the guest chef this Saturday. That was the wine that was on feature, so I took a bottle home, and I was going to make this roasted tomato compote on some um, bruschetta, this uh, compote that I had okay. learned to to make it a payard patisserie and bistro. And um, so I used a little of the wine in it and I'm tasting the sauce and I had tasted the wine a little before and I was like, yeah, still jury's still out on that one and tasting the sauce and adding the wine. And finally I come back, I'm tasting the sauce and I taste the wine again. And I was like, Whoa, okay. I think I now understand why people buy this wine. As soon as I married it with that tomato sauce, it became something completely different and you hear this: What grows together goes together. Yeah, acid uh-huh. loves acid. But sometimes, uh-huh. until you have that moment, and for this, it was a wine that I didn't particularly love, turned into On a wine that I really liked.
0: Angels singing. Yes. Moment.
1: It was a five dollar wine, so yeah, but they weren't still. the best angels, but, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's it was cool. it was revelatory, and I
1: you know I knew this stuff, but it, like it just happened in my mouth, and it was $5. like five dollars, five dollars, and it did it totally. Wow, cool. It was cool.
0: Well, I'm looking at some of the wines that we have in front of us, and um, I'm going to guess that they, uh, I don't know what the price is, maybe a little more than $5, but I think now is the time in our time together that we got to taste these wines. Okay. Hang on. Here we go. So take us through the first one. What's the first wine we're going to be tasting here?
1: So the first wine that we're tasting, it's on your left. Thank you. And this is the Stone Street Estate Vineyard Chardonnay, the Upper Barn Vineyard, 2015. I chose this wine. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. This is a mountain Chardonnay. The vineyards were planted, um, I want to say the the 80s, 90s. I always forget the exact date. I want to say the 70s, but a little later than that. And um, it's at about 1,700 feet in elevation in Alexander Valley or on Mm. Alexander Mountain. So it's mountain grown. This is a vineyard that when I was at Tribeca Grill, I had verticals of upper barn, Gower Upper Barn by Martinelli. You saw upper barn on these spectacular bottlings. And when I realized Jackson family had purchased that and purchased that, I was like, whoa, this is a cool estate. This is a cool story. This is a family that's doing some cool stuff. And the wine is pretty spectacular. It, it,
0: the, the balance between hmm. a- acid and fruit in this wine. Now, most people think California Chardonnay, meh, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, over-oaked or, you know, um, it, the the... Fruit is sometime masked. This is this is pitch perfect. You it know, is, it, and
1: it's good fruit. Good fruit. I mean, not just good fruit. This is excellent fruit. Great acidity. Excellent wine making. I know, my mouth is still <laughs> super juicy, <laughs> so really clean. And there's there's plenty of oak in here, but the intensity of the fruit comes through first.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. There's oak there's is oak. A supporting nature here. You got you know. it. But you know, um, as I have said in prior episodes, that Chardonnay is that grape. Yes. That a winemaker can put their stamp on. Yes. And who's who's making this wine? Do you know?
1: Um, this is Lisa Valtenberg's, who is our uh, head winemaker at Stone Street Estate. Good so, job, Lisa. Um, yeah, these are these are beautiful wines. Yeah. I, I just love it. We make several Chardonnays off of that estate. This is my favorite.
0: What's the elevation on this fruit?
1: Um, you'd have to look at the map to be specific, but around seventeen hundred, seventeen fifty.
0: Yeah. It's so high up there. There's Cabernet there. planted right around there. And and you're, so you're getting that acidity. Yes. Which is really.
1: That's a game changer in this wine. In this wine. Me.
0: Right? Super juicy. Super but,
1: intense. but ju- Yeah, really juicy. But
0: I like the balance too. Yeah. I need a butter poached lobster.
1: Absolutely. We should go get Oh one. my goodness.
0: Yeah. Right? Yes. With this wine?
1: It would be Perfect.
0: Okay, I just had a moment. <laughs> so, um, just out of curiosity, price point on this—are we allowed to say?
1: This one, let's see, retail—it would probably be seventy-five, eighty dollars, maybe, maybe a little bit more. Mm. Um, Fifteen was a short vintage, so I'd have to double-check the price, but it's—it's okay. it's not inexpensive. No,
0: but it's not super expensive. Like, but it's not it's, super expensive. You know, if, if you were comparing this to a white burgundy, it's probably premier cru, right yes. in there, right?
1: Yep, right, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Premier cru Burgundy of this quality would be 150 bucks. Right. So, so
0: this is oh, – wow. You know, I see Stone Street all the time. I, and I even own a few bottles. Right. But um, I, oh, I have mostly the Reds. The Cabernets, yes. Yeah. And I, I think you've just changed my mind on this wine. <laughs>
1: it's a great estate for Chardonnay. Thanks, yeah. thanks for
0: bringing that one in. You're welcome. All right. I so. wanted to taste it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I see. One's a good excuse. There we go. And take us to the second one. And we're then try. the
1: next one um, is another favorite grape variety. Um, and this was a bit opportunistic. We were um, out yesterday and I saw this on a shelf and thought, oh, I should, I should. We only had two left. So I bought them and I'd love this wine. It's another reason that um, it was a wine that really just turned my head when I tasted it. I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected to come from Jackson family or to come from Cambria estate. Right. So this is Cambria. Estate Vineyards and Winery, they're Tepesquet Vineyard Syrah, and it's a 2013 vintage.
0: Okay, and the it's, it's important to note, I guess, that the Stone Street is also Jackson Family Wine. Yes,
1: these first okay, two so are both two, Jackson Family okay. Wines.
0: I'm going to be interested in the third one. And the <laughs> so just the nose on this.
1: It's so interesting. I mean, right. most people probably wouldn't pick up a 2013, and this is not an expensive wine at all. Maybe... I don't remember what I paid for it. Fifteen, sixteen dollars retail. That's it? Yes, it's very expensive. Because I can tell you, just
0: if just on the nose, it's a forty fifty dollar wine. Well, just on the nose.
1: These vineyards are just next to Bien Nacido, so it's yeah. up oh. on that Santa Maria Bench. Oh,
0: yeah. Very cool. We should say in Central California, and yes, Central, Central Coast. Coast California, oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. So because the the Chardonnay that we Chardonnay
1: tasted. was Sonoma County. Right. Um, yes, in Alexander Valley. So that's the exact. We're traveling uh,
0: about four or Alexander, five hours Alex, south Alex, now Mount down County. to Central Coast. There we go. All right. So,
1: so it's got you know it's it's not super fresh, but it's got gotten some of those tertiary aromatics that to it's me makes so, right? like it's, a little bit it's of visceral. bacon fat in there, bacon fat a little
0: black olive,
1: a tapenade, and a little smoke.
0: Oh, tapenade, tapenade,
1: <laughs> tapenade. And maybe some like oh, you know, smoke, wrinkled black fruit, smoke.
0: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: It's a pretty cool wine.
0: Now I'm going to try it. You know, I got to taste it now.
1: Some vintages, it's a little more peppery when it's cooler. This seems like a little, little warm.
0: Mm. Yeah. No. You know, it's I'm not getting the peppery notes, which is fine with me. Right. But the again, great acidity, good good fruit, mm-hmm. but great. Tertiary, now, I guess I should explain, you know, because we get into wine right. speak sometimes <laughs> and people are like, tertiary, what's, you know, so I think of primary flavors in a wine as fruit. Right. Like in a in a Syrah it might be blackberry or, you know, but I think of tertiary flavors sort of more into the uh, leather, smoke, um, pepper, and, and this really, this has is, this is really got great tertiary flavors that kind of hit you up front.
1: It really does. And then what I love about Syrah, um, it's so cool, especially New World Syrah, sometimes Old World Syrah. You get all that tertiary, those aged mm. flavors up front, and then this boom of fruit kind of at the back on the finish. That red raspberry candy, oh, black raspberry. Coming kind of right in. Plumps right back on your tongue, and it's cool.
0: Yeah, that's – wow. <laughs> $15 for and this? And about
1: 15 bucks. yeah.
0: There's a lot of joy in this wine.
1: There really is. There really is. Ah. Very cool. It's cool. And it's a, yeah, it's like, who knew?
0: Who knew? Who knew?
1: Yeah, well.
0: All right, now I am okay. very curious. Now, you you, <laughs> you, d- you brought in three wines. I did. And, and I can understand why the first two are meaningful to you. Yes. But the third wine, not a Jackson family wine.
1: Not a Jackson family
0: wine. And you're going to change my mind on something, aren't you?
1: I'm going gonna to try. We're going to
0: try. I'm going to try. Right, tell us about the third wine.
1: Okay, so the third one is one of my favorite grape varieties and from one of my favorite countries. So, this is the Neagle um, Riesling Privat 2009. And this particular wine, of course, they've covered up the um, appellation where <laughs> it comes from. So, But the country? Yes, but it's is, as it is Kremstahl. So, it is Austria. 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 And this Austria. is a half bottle yeah. that I, I found yesterday, and it actually kind of leaped off the shelf and into my hand before I knew what happened. <laughs> Happens sometimes Just when you're in those leapt wine right stores, into there, huh? <laughs> right yeah. into your shopping basket, and um, they had gotten it from a private seller. So this is a, it was a thirty dollar bottle. But I I love Austria, um, I love Austrian wines. I love the intensity and the austerity of them. Okay. But there's also, and I love Grüner Veltliner also from Austria, okay. a little bit more generosity sometimes to the Gruners than to the Rieslings. But I love the laser like focus, that intensity and this. Just they're big, full-bodied, powerful, and dry. And...
0: Austria. Austria. Okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay. Now we get to drink it. That was our tasting.
1: In 2009, so this is 10 years old.
0: A lot of petrol in the nose.
1: A lot of petrol in the nose. and
0: Not a bad thing, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. When you Not smell... a bad thing. It's also apricot yeah. skin yeah. and
1: peaches. and
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm going to put this in my mouth. You're going to – because I'm very familiar with these style of wines from – Alsace region, right? Right. No. But Austria. so this
1: maybe reminds me a little bit more of something you might get out of the faults in Germany—a dry mm-hmm. style. Mm.
0: Well, Molly, <laughs> winter, winter chicken dinner,
1: and this probably would go well with a chicken. It dinner, would go actually.
0: great with chicken,
1: <laughs> fried chicken dinner.
0: Oh. <laughs> so wait, we're, we're going to have butter poached lobster and fried chicken and
1: fried chicken. Hey, why not?
0: And maybe finish up with a little lamb in that sorrah. Maybe
1: <laughs> It sounds like a good meal.
0: Yeah, being the culinary, it is pretty. That is a great term for it. You're, so on the nose, you're right. You get that petrol and the apricot skin. What are you getting in? Uh, mm. What are you getting on the palate here? I'm. You know, the first thing I'm noticing is the ripeness. Of it's the fruit. ripe.
1: It's ripe. Almost pineapple. Almost like a canned pineapple, and initially almost something a little vegetal and. And there's a little of that white pepper. Now, what's funny to me about Austrian white wines, especially Gruner and Riesling, because we blind taste them a lot, often to me, if I'm blind tasting these wines, I get Austria first.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: this is an Austrian white. Now, is it Gruner or is it Riesling?
0: Really? And what's the tipping point for you where you immediately go to Austria when you're tasting this There wine?
1: is this, um, it's, it's kind of like, there's... Greg Brewer likes to talk about his wines being kind of deconstructed margarita, his Chardonnays, and I've always thought that about Austrian Riesling as well. It's got the salt. It's got sort of this limey, and this is more maybe tangerine peach apple, but liminess and saltiness and stoniness to it. That kind of reminds me a little. And there's also something vegetal. You do get a little of that snap pea in here, which is kind of interesting.
0: That's what I love about doing this with experts because I just learned something today. I never really thought about that in in terms of being deconstructed. Had I tasted this and and in all fairness, I really don't taste a lot of Austrian whites. I I would have gone to Germany first. Right. on this. Just, you know, right off the bat if I was tasting this blind. But what an eye opener because talking about the solidity and that that lemon-limey mm-hmm. characteristic in it and then running into the as you know, you said canned pineapple. I'm picking up like orchard like ripe, ripe white peach
1: mm, yes, for me yes. is
0: is is what's really standing out on that. So. It's
1: pretty. This is cool. This is. It's a cool and uh, so food friendly. This can span many dishes.
0: So since it came out of a private cellar off of a retail shelf, we probably can't you know can't find it. But remind our our listeners again what it is we're drinking.
1: So this is the Nigel. It's which is N I G L. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that quite right. Okay. I used to have a cat named Nigel, so sometimes I call it Nigel. Um, the Neagle Riesling Privat, two thousand nine, and this particular one is in a half bottle.
0: And that was the third wine we we uh, tried. And the first the first wine was the the
1: first wine was the Stone Street Estate Vineyards, two thousand and fifteen, Upper Barn Vineyard Chardonnay. And the Syrah. And then the second one was the Cambria Estate Vineyards, Tepesque Vineyard Syrah, two thousand thirteen. And then the Neagle Riesling Privat 2009.
0: Well, I have to tell you, Molly, thank you so much for being here. This was more fun than I deserved. It
1: was a lot of fun. I had a great time.
0: Thank you again for for joining us and bringing these wonderful wines. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. You can get a complete list of the wines we sampled in today's episode on the Podcast One website. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at The Vine Guy for updates on all the episodes. And be sure to catch my Wine of the Week segments on Fridays on WTOP and WTOP.com. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Liebowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Until next time, do good and drink well.